You're a normal person who wants to do something completely not normal. A 2,700 mile mountain bike ride. So I said, let me check at home and at work and just make sure I can check out a life for a month. Kind of hoping that either my wife or the people <laughs> at work would say, no, are you kidding me? This is The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, tandem episode number one. This is Fatty, and the idea behind these bonus tandem episodes is pretty simple. Long-form, one-on-one conversations about bikes. In this episode, I talk with Adam Lizenby, a normal guy who's been dreaming about and planning for the Tour Divide, a self-supported mountain bike race from Canada to Mexico, all along the Great Divide. He and I have two conversations, one before he leaves for this three-week race and one soon after he gets back. If you've ever dreamed about doing something almost impossible, I think you'll find a little of yourself in here. Adam, welcome to The Pace Line. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It is good to have you here. When I say that you are a normal guy, I mean that you're normal in more or less the same way that I'm normal. That is, you are a guy that I've known for, how, how long have we known each other? More than a decade, right? Yeah, 10 or 12 years at least, I think. And we we both like riding bikes. Both have done some long rides, some long races. And in a way, though, we've kind of diverged in what we love to do. And what you are doing now is, like, it's actually got me, like, super jealous in a way. And in a way, also super thankful that I'm not doing what you're doing. So... This started when I read your book about riding the Colorado Trail Race and Durango to Denver. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you're about to do and how you got to this point. Well, yeah, like you said, I'm about, I'm about to ride, attempt to ride the Tour Divide, 2,700 miles from Banff, Alberta, Canada to Antelope Wells, New Mexico right at the Mexican border, 2,700 miles, something like 250,000 vert. I know the numbers are silly. You, <laughs> you, you can't even comprehend the numbers if you, if you try. It stopped making any sense after a while. It's just big number, big number, right. another big number. Exactly. Um, it's a bikepacking race or ride, depending on what your intention is. And what is your intention? I want to ride... I want to ride it as fast as I can. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to try to break the record or anything like that. But I want to push myself out there. I want to to cover some ground each day, but still try to be in a spot where I can make good decisions at night about getting sleep. I I need sleep. This doesn't mean 10 or 12 hours a day, but but I think five or six a night, and I think I can stay functional. I'm willing, and I've done it before, to push deep into the night, you know, and survive on two or three hours when I need to. Yeah. I just don't think, for me, that's sustainable. And so, how many days do you think this is going to take you? That's a tough one because 
there are variables that slow people down. Sure. Uh, weather, snowpack is a big one. This year, we've had a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. The passes in Canada and Montana still have snow in them. The passes in Wyoming and Colorado still have snow in them. And we're just a few days from the start. And yeah, you are flying out, you know, to, to set everyone's minds where Adam's mind is right now. You fly out to Banff one week from today, right? One week from right now. <laughs> the race starts on June 9th, which right. is 10 days from right now. And it's May 30th as we're recording. So maybe you're listening and I'm already out there. Well, the the thought is, you know, for our listeners, we're recording part one here. And when you get back, we're going to have you tell us the story. And then the listeners, they don't have to wait at all. They're going to hear they're there going you to go. hear you now and then they're going to hear you afterward. <laughs> gonna... the, this older, wiser Adam. <laughs> this is the naive, hopeful Adam that you're hearing right now. So let's let's rewind the clock a little bit because mm-hmm. I mean it, it wasn't so long ago that you and I were like as, as similar as two writers can be. You were about the same size, same build. I mean, you're a little younger than I am, but otherwise you know, pretty similar. Mm-hmm. I went toward 100-mile races and, you know, relays that take 25 to 30 hours, overnight stuff. You have gone toward backpacking. Tell me what the draw is. Um, the, the draw to bikepacking, I think, is really similar to, this, to, to what attracts riders to 100-milers and 24-hour bike races mm-hmm. and and things like that. I, I've done a lot of those, and I and I still do them, and I enjoy them. But bike packing just means you get to do it longer, and you get <laughs> to cover more ground. You can draw up a route, and instead of thinking, I've got to plan this to get back to the car before dark or shortly after dark, you can just plan to be out there as long as you want. And that might be over an overnighter. It might be several days. It might be several weeks. Um, you know, the, the tour divide yeah. is a long one and it's a, it's a famous one, but there are guys who are touring all over the West, a lot in the West, but all over the country and then, and you know, the world and they're just out wandering on their bikes and it's a fun nomadic lifestyle that I like tasting in small bites. Mm-hmm. And how, how long have you been working toward this particular race, this thing that you are going to be starting on June 13th, two weeks, you know, in, in less than two weeks from now. I mean, it, it's something I've always had on the list. But how long have you been serious about it? But it, at some point it, you got it serious. got serious about, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. I actually remember the moment I was riding on the Murdoch Canal Trail here locally, a paved. Yeah. Paved easy, trail. you know, yeah. Fun ride. Cruising along that with my friend, Ty, who's also going to be riding. Mm. And I said to him what do you think about the tour divide? <laughs> and I knew, but just by opening that question, I was getting myself into trouble because he was always a little more serious about doing it than I, yeah. than I was. If you ask the question, you have to listen to the answer, right? And he, he said, yeah, I still want to do it. You want to do it? He just threw the question right back on me. And I said, maybe, maybe to celebrate my 40th birthday, I could I could talk myself into it. <laughs> and he said, well, when's that? When do you turn 40? I said, the summer of 2017. This was 2015. 2017 seemed like a distant dream, something sure, that would never sure. <laughs> happen. <laughs> a safe distance away. Exactly. So I said, 
let me check let me check at home and at work and just make sure I can check out a life for a month. Kind of hoping that either my wife or the people at work would say, no, no are you kidding me? Can't have a month. No, we're not going <laughs> to even entertain that idea. Well, everyone said, sure. That sounds great. That sounds like a great adventure. Go do it. That was my big question was, or one of my questions that I imagine holding me back is the logistics that, you know, you have a job like normal people like me. You have kids at home like normal people like me. And you've got, you've got a lot of responsibilities. But it turned out that when you asked, people said yes. And I have never even asked. I've just, it makes like I'm making the same assumption you had, but you were brave enough to go to both of them and say, Hey, I want to do something incredible. What do you think? And, and people said, yeah, that's amazing. Actually, that's, and that actually says some really good things about the people around you. It does. It does. And it is amazing. And, uh, it was slightly disappointing um, <laughs> because I had no more excuses and it was good that it was two years because it has allowed me to prepare not just in getting gear and studying the route and getting mm. in shape and doing some bike pack trips, but it helped me to prepare to be gone for a while yeah, and to make sure things were going to be, be good at home and, and at the office and all the other responsibilities that, that we have. So I, I hope I've used the time wisely because it's gone. The time is used up. It, it's here. I mean, that's, and I remember as a kid, completely unable to sleep on Christmas Eve, just in anticipation. Not so much of it. It wasn't really that I was hoping for a specific present, is that I was thinking about the things that could be in those boxes. And that's sort of what you're at now is, uh, and I've read your blog and we should point point our readers to it. It's grizzlyadam.net, right? Right. And some really good posts about your gear and about the stuff that's been running through your head. Make sure you go go and check that out. Uh, see what is more details on what has gone through Adam's head as he's been working through this. But how, um, I mean, what is going through your brain during, you know, now as, as you are on this, this verge of, you know, taking a sharp corner and suddenly seeing this thing that you, that's been on the horizon forever. A lot of little things. Yeah. Um, which are sort of infuriating because <laughs> I'm, I'm debating whether or not to take really short little briefs or some long johns to sleep in. Both weigh almost nothing. The long johns are like, they're like, they're made out of really ultra thin silk. They're like like pantyhose almost. So I'm debating dumb little things that really have no impact. But still get in your head. But get in my head and I, and I, (laughs) I weigh them and I pack them up differently and, how many, you know, how many AAA batteries should I bring? It's like AAAs, I can get them anywhere along the route. Yeah, that is one thing that you should be able to pick up along the way. Right. But you still, you worry about every single little thing. So every little thing, the big things sort of, I sort of checked those off over the last 18 months or so. You know, I've got a sleep system that I've spent a lot of time in. I'm pretty dialed there. I've got the bike mm-hmm. and the bags, and I have a pretty good understanding of the route. Last year, we went out and we rode 700 miles of the route oh. from Pinedale, Wyoming to Del Norte, Colorado to get a little, you know, it was a dress rehearsal. Turns out, I think we rode the 700 easiest miles of the route. <laughs> we did ride through the Great Divide Basin, and that's not easy. 
because it's so arid yeah. and so dry. Um, but we did that on our second day, so we had pretty good legs. Um, so I kind of have an idea. Some some listeners won't realize that you're a very uh, skilled photographer. Are you planning to be photoing or taking pictures on the, of this of this ride during the uh, during this race? Yeah, I I am. Um, I find that that taking a photo along the way can sometimes turn a frown upside down. <laughs> if I find myself getting a little too inside my own head, a lot of times you see something beautiful, stop and appreciate it for a minute. Nice. So you're not going to be racing so hard that, that putting a foot down and getting out the camera is not an option. I, I hope not. Yeah. There's certainly been times where I've ridden through a, a, a really beautiful scene because I'm trying to get somewhere quickly. And I've always, I think I've always regretted doing that yeah. because I like those photos. They, the photos last longer sure. than that, that moment, of course. And so in the interest of space and weight, I'm just using a phone camera, which is kind of like, it, that's something I swore I'd never do. <laughs> but the new iPhone has a pretty good camera. It's good enough. I have a fantasy or kind of a pipe dream of going back out on the route one day, either as a tourist or in a truck and really photographing the route with the riders. And yeah, I would, I would love to have a, a coffee table book of, uh, of the tour divide route. That would actually be something I would, yeah. Count me among the purchasers for that. Um, I, I am wondering as you're getting ready, what, what would you tell your future self? You, what would you tell the Adam who's going to come back in July and, uh, you know, and will have had this experience. What do you think you could, what, what do you think you could tell yourself? It, it's easy. It's easy to get caught up. Like I mentioned in the little things, mm -hmm. the gear and am I going to get to this town on that day? And am I going to average the mileage that I want to average? I hope that I'm able to just sort of put that stuff in the back of my mind. Yeah. And I want to come away from this knowing that, knowing two things, that I gave it a good, honest effort. No matter what happens, that I was out there and I was, I gave it a good, a good go. And I want to enjoy it. I mean, we, we ride bikes because it's fun, right? Yeah. Kids, we, we grew up riding bikes through the neighborhood, not to stay in shape, not to set Strava segment KOMs or anything like that. We rode because it was fun. And ultimately, that's still, I think, why we do it. So that would be your note to your future self. Remember to have fun on this. Yeah, thing. enjoy that's the good. moment. The times where I get myself in trouble on long rides is when I, I start monologuing in my own head <laughs> and questioning why I'm there and, and think about all the things I should be doing, you know, and I chastise myself for being you know, not a good dad because I'm out here on the CTR or the Great Divide and not at home with the kids. And and there's probably some truth to some of that, but the family's super supportive and they're really excited. And it's about yeah. just being in the moment. And so if there's a rainstorm coming, I've got the gear. So bundle up and, and enjoy the ride. Enjoy yeah. the rainstorm. It'll pass by and then tomorrow it'll be a nice sunny day or not.
<laughs> or it might be another soaker, huh? Oh, that is that's actually great advice, not just to your future self, but to anyone. So what do you think that your future self would tell your now self? You know, this this older, wiser Adam who has any an amazing twenty seven hundred plus miles under his leg in under a month. What is what what would he say to you? I I don't know, except that the thing I'm telling myself now is is relax. You're mm-hmm. well prepared, and you did a great job. So before we go to break and then come back with the the Adam who has just finished this race. What is your prediction? Your your best your your most realistic prediction for when you finish. Your most optimistic and what you think is the worst case but still finished prediction. If everything goes well and we have normal weather, meaning I fully expect to get wet sure. here and there. Normal weather includes some bad weather, uh, especially yeah, especially when you're outside all day for many days. So if all goes well. And I don't have any major physical or mechanical problems. I would be thrilled with something in the, I'm careful about naming numbers or listing <laughs> numbers, but something in the 17, 18, 19 range. Those are days. I love how many caveats there were there. That was incredible. <laughs> well, there, I feel <laughs> but like th- I this, have is, to. this is a race of caveats, though, isn't it? I mean, th- <laughs> things that can and will go wrong for sure. So basically, when people ask that question, my easy answer is sub 20, I'd be thrilled with, mm-hmm. especially given that we know that the Canada section is going to be slower this year because of a recent reroute. We know that Montana is going to be slower than the last couple of years because there's still snow in the passes. Mm hmm. We got spoiled in 2015 and 16. There was no snow in those passes. Yeah, it was fa- fast years for sure. Both years were record breaking. And so I want to hear about the worst case, but still finish. You notice I'm not saying your your I didn't finish numbers because we're just setting that aside. <laughs> I if I finish, I don't think there is a worst case. I I that's a good point. I finished and I set out to do what I set out to do, and that's to finish. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to be out there for 26 or 27 days. Um, There are things I need to get home for. There's only so much time solo I think my wife can do with the kids (laughs) and everything else. I have my parents are moving back to the United States after three years away in early July. So I've got to beat them home because I'd like to be home (laughs) when they get home. Um, So, but, but all that said, I I think I think a worst case would be if I finished but was really mad about it and didn't have a good time. This is somewhat of a side note, but I read a, a blog post, a series of blog posts from someone who did the race last year. Mm-hmm. And it was really negative. And I I was when I finished reading, I was in a really bad mood. Now that's tragic in a way, isn't it? it yeah. And um I don't want to finish this and have a bad taste in my mouth. I don't I, I don't want to finish and never want to ride my bike again. I don't think I want to ride for a while. Sure. But I don't want to I I don't want to hate my bike after that. And and I don't mean that in oh I'm not riding until 2 weeks later, although I'm registered for Crusher. Um I don't want to I don't want to put the bike There's a lot of guys who've done this race and they hang up their bike 
and they don't ride it again. And the bike is too big a part of my life to, to, to have that happen. That would be, that would be a real weird hole, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I might do something drastic, like take up running. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to go to break now. And when we come back, we'll talk with Adam Lizenby, an ordinary guy doing an extraordinary thing after he is done this tour divide race. It has been roughly two months since we last talked, Adam. You have a lot of story to tell. Rather than me asking you questions, let's hear the story. Well, the, the short story is that I I didn't finish the Tour Divide and, in fact, barely started the Tour Divide. Uh, I seem to remember us finishing off um, with you saying, we'll talk to the post-Tour Divide, Adam, in a little while, and I remember yeah. thinking, I would have, I would like to talk to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you say to that guy? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I think I would tell him, "Don't do it," meaning drop out. Mm -hmm. Don't even fly out to Banff. No, no, I mean don't don't leave the race. Oh, okay. The way I did, and and we can get into that. Um, yeah, sure. I would have, I would have liked to have said, stick with it for a few more days. Um, let's, let's back up a little bit to, you know, exactly how much, it, how much you did do and, uh, and sort of what was going through your head. Well, I only rode about 105 miles of the route. It's a 2,700 mile route. Right. So. I didn't do much. So one day, two days? The end of towards the end of day one, I left the route. Mm -hmm. And I ended up riding another hundred miles or so to get back into the United States. Mm -hmm. And um on a mix of the route slash parallel highways, things like that. I was taking the you know, the easiest route back yeah. to the border. Um but I do want to say getting getting to that start line was a big deal. Yeah. And it took a lot of, of doing. So when I say I only did 100 miles, that's true. But it was a long journey and maybe too long in hindsight. Maybe huh. I decided – it was two years of prep. Yeah. Maybe I sprinted too early you know I, I, <laughs> I made my move too early i had never thought about that but anything that you prepare that long for you've made it too big i want to let's go back to yeah. march let's do so in march i raced the stagecoach 400 mm -hmm. in southern california it's a bike pack race it's a good race uh but i wouldn't have done that mm -hmm. uh, in hindsight not not anything to do with that race itself it's well Done. It's a fun route. Yeah. Challenging. It's everything you want a, a bike pack race to be. But it really beat me up. Mm -hmm. And I recovered a lot slower than I had hoped. It ended up being a much um, rougher course than I anticipated. The roads were deteriorated from a wet spring. There was a lot of 
It was just it was just harder than I thought, which yeah. is silly. It's a four hundred mile mountain bike race. I mean, it's going to have it's going to be difficult. It's what you yeah you expected to be hard. And I did well. I had a good race. Um, I did the whole thing on uh, like five hours sleep. You know, I was wow. able to to try some new things like not sleeping very much and and continue to race. Um, but it it beat me up, and I didn't recover as quickly as I would have liked. And it sort of threw everything off kilter. And instead of sort of leading into a good training block and feeling good about the Tour Divide in June, I was off. Yeah. And I think that started to lead to feeling off about it in other ways. So like that, that's physically or mentally or how? Physically, yes. Because the, the, the recovery wasn't coming, mm-hmm. right? And I'm kind of a slow recoverer. <laughs> I recover slowly. Yeah. A few weeks after that race, um, I was still struggling to get back on the bike, wanting to get back on the bike. Okay. Um, I was doing it. I was kind of muscling my way through it because I know I needed the mileage. Um, but the mileage was was going down. Yeah. And then I think mentally, I think that's what I I'm, I kind of refer to when I say I made my move too soon. Mentally, I was I was fatigued mm-hmm. with the Tour Divide, um, studying the route, adding in waypoints on my GPS file. It was all really fun. But at some point, I even made a comment to the to the friend that I that I went up with, and you know that we that we started together. I said, I'm sick of this. I just want to go ride. I'm sick of getting ready. Yeah. You know, I was, it was like being dressed for the ball and the ball was still two weeks away or two <laughs> months away, yeah. you know? And okay. so I think had maybe, I think in some ways I needed the two years to get ready and to prepare. Cause it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to do this in two years. And every day after that, I rode a hundred miles. There was a lot of, of preparation in other ways, like researching and getting a bike for the for the event right. or other gear sleeping gear and bivvies and I'd done bike packing before so I had a good foundation of what was available and what I wanted and and uh, uh, so it wasn't all just on the on the bike preparation but um, the on the bike preparation is maybe the easiest part because it's just like riding a bike uh-huh. you just pedal you've done the CTR you did this 400 mile race. You've done a number of personal events, but take me to where you are leaving the family. You are flying out to Banff, your mindset and what got you to, and where you were starting the race while you were riding and what was, what led you to the point that you pulled the plug i'm asking you to tear off a band-aid i know no no, it's fine i i'm I'm trying to remember the timeline so the race traditionally starts the race starts the second friday of every june Mm -hmm. we left here we drove to banff we left here on the tuesday before the race right um and we got to banff thursday Who's no. we? So I rode. I uh, I I drove up with Ty Hopkins, right? Who also raced 
and his parents. Mm -hmm. The timing was nice because his parents wanted to see Banff anyway and were planning to go up there. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of said, you need to go up there. We need to go up there. And so we drove up together. Yeah. We got to Banff. So we left Tuesday morning from here in Salt Lake. And we got to Banff, I think, Wednesday evening. And how are you doing at that point? How are so, you? So, yeah, the, the goodbye was was worse than I expected. Mm. Like my my kids are crying, my wife's crying, I'm crying. And it's like, oh boy. I've left on bike trips before. And of course, this is longer and, and, and bigger than anything. So, and it's that, had more buildup than anything. A right? lot of, a lot of buildup. Yeah. I think that's actually one of the things I did, I, a, a mistake that I made. The tour divide is big enough on its own. Yeah. There's no benefit. I don't, I think, I don't think there's any benefit from making it bigger than it already is. And I had done that. I'd made it yeah. this like mission, this life's goal, this, this tunnel vision. And I had all kinds of uh, ideas about how I wanted it to go, how fast I wanted to ride. I think the people who are successful at the Tour Divide do the opposite. I think they make it as small as they can. And the only way to do that is to ride it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. We've all done a one-day ride, a 100-mile or 150-mile ride. We've all done something like that, a century ride or something. Well, this is just that for 20 plus days. <laughs> but it's that for plenty, it's that for 20 plus days part that I think screws people up. Yeah. You'd made it something bigger than than you needed to make it in, in your head and in others' heads is what it sounds like. Right. Yeah. So we left, we left home and, and we drove up and, uh, the drive up was not good for me. <laughs> Ty and his parents were are great. That it had nothing to do right to do with it. It was, I would sleep a lot on the drive, um, because that was the best way to sort of relieve some of the pressure that I was feeling. Was it family the pressure? I, I I think that in bike racing, in life in general, I have a hard time with things that I can't see the end from the no. beginning. Yeah. And so if, if, if I can't see the way that this thing will be finished, I get bent out of shape. So we get to Banff mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. It's everything Banff's supposed to be. It's this, everywhere you look is a postcard, right? And there's tour dividers all over town and it's really cool. And there's a lot of energy. And I was hoping that I could feed off that energy and, and right. And get lost in the moment of of being part of the tour divide, and and I did here and there. But it, it's a weird. I was thinking about this just the other day. I f I felt like I wasn't actually there. It was almost like I was watching a movie of what was going on, mm -hmm. and not because anybody was exclusive exclusionary or anything. Right. I just could not get fully immersed in the moment. And I, that's something that I think piggybacks on my need to be able to see the end from the beginning is I have trouble being right here in the moment. I yeah. think about 
yeah, this is awesome, but what's ahead? What do I have to do tomorrow? Or what's 50 miles down the road or five miles down the road? Yeah. And um, you'd been fixed on, you'd set your focus on far forward for so long that now that you're actually on this horizon, you'd been thinking about it didn't seem it, it didn't feel real didn't it feel felt real. it felt like um it was happening to somebody else mm-hmm. i almost didn't start the race i i very seriously considered just not starting but that seemed so stupid because i was there I right. was in Banff, <laughs> and I had no way home. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Banff. I'm I told mean, I, everyone I'm going to start this race. I, and I had no options. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have got a rental car and gotten that down as far as I could and then gotten another rental car. And Yeah. So, uh, I was really struggling with that decision. Do I? How am I even going to start this? And I actually watched uh, Lee Craigie's TED Talk. She's an endurance mountain bike racer. And it was getting passed around at that time on Facebook. And I watched it. And at the end, she's talking about the the Highland trail race in Scotland that she had recently competed in. And at the end, she says, now, if you excuse me, I need to go race the Tour Divide. I had no idea she was going to be there. I was like, oh, cool. And it kind of gave me it kind of gave me a little bit of uh, a little boost of morale. And I actually ran into her the next day on the trail. And, and I said, I, I watched your, your talk. It was great. I didn't tell her it, it uh, helped me to start the race. Uh-huh. I didn't want to get in. I didn't want to put any negative yeah. negativity into other people's rides. So the morning of the race comes and um, I'm sort of just an autopilot. I'm like, I choke down some food and I'm feeling a ton of pressure, like, like physical pressure. Like it's hard to breathe. And and I don't think that pressure, it didn't come from anybody except myself and my own uh, inability to just stay in the moment. You know, the other riders around me in the day leading up to the race and then that, that morning, so many of them were so relaxed and so uh, excited to ride. There was a few with some far off stairs. Yeah. But I couldn't understand how anybody could be excited to ride at that moment because I wasn't. I was dreading it. And um, for someone who rides a bike, it is, you know, as often as I can, that's not a good feeling. Right. The bike's a lot more than just something I do for exercise. You know, it's... It's got all kinds of implications, and as you well know, because yeah. I think you're the same way. Yeah, it's a big a, chunk of your identity. And I think most people listening cannot can identify with that. Yeah. But 8 o'clock rolls around, and we go, and I just go thinking, I'll do what I always do and muscle my way through this. Mm-hmm. And I got into a little group. I mean, there's 100 and something people, you know, 170 probably that left from – that left from the Grand Depart, which is what that that group start is is affectionately known as. And we kind of strung out. The guys who wanted to break the record were long gone. They looked like they were starting a, a cross-country race. Uh-huh. And they kind of ended up riding that way. I mean, they, it's <laughs> always so impressive. But I settled in, and I got into a good group with some guys. And uh, 
got to know them a little bit. And I was, you know, Ty was up the road somewhere. I didn't plan on ever seeing him again during right. the race, and I didn't. And uh, there was nothing to complain about. Yeah, it rained, but I had rain gear. I yeah. was prepared for rain. And so exactly. I was I was fine. The, yes, there was mud, but I I got lucky and it didn't affect my bike too much. And I, you know, I could, was able to keep the bike running pretty well. And I had I had good riding companions. I was well prepared for the weather. And yet I was I did I I wanted nothing except to get off the trail. Yeah. And um even now I I can't fully explain or understand that other than saying that I let myself get caught up in the entirety of it. It's not the first time you've felt that way though. You've had other times when you felt like I I don't belong out here. I'm not having fun. I don't want to do this anymore. What actually brought you to that being the voice that finally won the day? The difference between last year on the pre-ride mm-hmm. when I felt the same way and this year on the real thing was that at the pre-ride, which we did uh, six days and 700 plus miles. The difference was that I was uh, motivated to be out there. Yeah. I was still, I still struggled with kind of thinking, oh man. And I kind of let myself get caught up then too, thinking this is only day two of like six. Right. I don't want to do this for four more days. On the Colorado trail, I was feeling that way on day two. Day two and three on multi-day bike pack rides are horrible. They're just, well, day, days one through three are always terrible. You're, yeah, you're looking up at the hump. And right? I don't think it's- I'm, yeah, and I don't think I'm unique in saying that. I'm saying that yeah. it's a universal, it's a universal truth, maybe, that the first 30% or the first few days of a bike pack race are terrible. What have I got myself into? Right. And yeah. so on the Colorado Trail, I was feeling that. And, I I may have bailed from that, except that it's like impossible to bail yeah. out. There's nowhere to go. So, but a rider, another rider told me, he said, no, don't ever quit on the day you want to sleep on it and see how you feel in the morning. Okay. Well, last year I slept on it and I woke up feeling a lot better and, and off I went. I didn't give myself that opportunity this year mm-hmm. at the Tour Divide. Maybe I did that on purpose, knowing that I would probably wake up and feel much better and keep going. So I'd been in a good group and, and in a ride of that length, even, you know, on day one, everyone kind of yo-yos and everyone's doing their own thing. There's not a lot of chit chat. Everyone's figuring it out. And and in that group, there were some guys that were rookies like myself. There were others who had been there before. And I had, I found myself alone, um, just pedaling along. The rain had finally stopped. It was a beautiful afternoon and evening. I mean, just spectacular. And the clouds are parting. You see these amazing cartoon peaks that the Canadian Rockies are. Yeah. You know, it's a Looney Tunes drawing. <laughs> and uh, I am I know this moment is coming. I've dreaded it all day. I've dreaded it for weeks. For, or, well, not weeks. Mm-hmm. For days since we Feels knew about like this reroute. Yeah. But I know this moment is coming 
where I will need to go up the hike a bike or not. Now, a few other riders went into Elkford because it's only a few miles off town, off mm-hmm. route, and you can go in there and get resupply. So I come around a little bend in the road and I see the uh, the line on my GPS was turning right. And a lot of the guys I've been riding with were there, kind of gathered at the bottom of the hill. They were eating and tightening their shoes and getting ready for a long hike a bike. Yeah. And I didn't really even hesitate. I just kind of quietly kept riding. I didn't look back. I didn't say anything to anybody. And at that moment, nobody would have known I was dropping out because a few other guys went into town. Yeah. You look, yeah, you're blending Um, in. There's no, there's no extravagant gesture. Right. It's not an efficient, necessarily an efficient resupply at that point. But if you needed food or, or if you needed something, it was there probably a, a, six or eight mile round trip back to the, yeah. and an easy riding. So you could, you could leave without calling attention to yourself. Right. And so I rode into town. I got, I bought a Coke mm-hmm. and I sat down at a picnic table and I turned my spot off because I didn't, I didn't want, I knew what I was about to do. Yeah. And I didn't want to, I didn't want a lot of people wondering what I was doing. I did call my wife and I said, I'm leaving the trail. And she knew, she knew that I had been struggling with this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I turned off the spot. Now the great divide mountain bike route goes through Elkford, but I didn't have that GPX track. So I just rode the highway to Sparwood. As soon as I left Elkford, I knew it was over. Yeah. Sparwood's another 30 miles down the highway. I could have stayed in Elkford, slept on it, gotten back on route the next morning, and it wouldn't have really cost me much, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of time. What did I, I want to back up to the calling your wife? What did that how, what was that conversation? Did she try to pep talk you or did she i mean she already kind of saw it coming you guys have been married for i, I we were talking before we re- recorded i think close to two decades you know each other pretty well right at that point i don't think i don't think she had any more pep talk in her she had used all her pep talk that was gone yeah in the previous day mm-hmm. um I, all i said was i'm leaving the trail and i'm i'm headed home as directly as I can figure out. I mean, I'm still in a little mining town in British Columbia. It's, yeah. I'm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> there's no direct flights to Salt Lake City. No, yeah. I, there's no uh, place to rent a car. There's no, but I, you know, I was like, well, I have a bike. Right. <laughs> I can get anywhere on the bike given enough time, which is an attitude maybe I should have had about the race. So I left town um, and rode to Sparwood. And how are you feeling then? I mean, I, I'm I'm interested in what your where your head is. This is where things get confusing for me. Mm-hmm. As soon as I left the route and I turned my spot off, and I told my wife, and I left Elkford, 
I felt great. I the pressure was gone. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the ride on the pavement. It was a it was a lonely uh, you know mountain highway. There were herds of elk. It was a beautiful evening. And I was enjoying myself again. You were happy to be riding. You just didn't want to be racing. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm way oversimplifying, but I mean, that's what it sounds like. Now, there were twinges of second thoughts. And so, but I felt great. And that, to me, kind of, kind of backed up my decision. I slept in Sparwood, where I'd planned on sleeping all along. Yeah. <laughs> Just as part of the race. And then I, the next morning, I got up early and I rode to Fernie on the highway. Anyway, I get to Fernie at the same time as a lot of the guys that I rode with the previous day were getting there. And uh, the dumbest thing happened. A mile outside of town, I put a giant screw through my back tire. And so I needed a new tire. So I went to the bike shop where a bunch of other Tour Divide racers were with broken this and that. Sure. I got the tire fixed and a couple of the guys said, what happened to you? Because they didn't, they just know I wasn't with them anymore. Right. I said, oh, I I went into Sparwood. I'm going to just, I'm dropping out. They're like, that's dumb. Come and ride with us. Just get back. You're back on route. Come with us. And, you know, if you miss part of the route, your blue dot on track leaders, you know, the spot dots that everyone watches, changes color. Mm-hmm. They're like, who cares if you have a different color dot? Like, Come with us. And I sat there and thought about it and went, I can't think of any reason why I would not do this. Why not? Why yeah. not at least ride with them back to Eureka, at least get into the States? I admit that sounds com- kind of compelling. Yeah, I'm back with these guys. They're great guys. Good guys. We're riding again, but... The reroute and all that's behind us. Yeah. And yet, I just said, appreciate it. And continued on the highway all the way to the, the U.S.-Canada border. And uh, from Whitefish, I got, a, I got picked up. Mm-hmm. Brandon Banks came and got me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listeners, most listeners won't know, but he's a well-known and well-loved uh, writer. I, I don't know any local cyclist who doesn't know who Brandon uh, is and who does uh, not think Brandon's a great guy. So I, if there is a local writer around who would uh, come drive that far out and <laughs> pick you up, it does not at all surprise me it was Brandon. That's, a, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. He left it. 3.30 in the morning. Of course he did. <laughs> got to Whitefish about 2.30 in the afternoon. Said, you're driving home. Uh-huh. And we we barely even turned the truck off. He pulled up to the hotel. I threw my gear in. And uh, we turned around and went home. Mm-hmm. Ten hours later, you know, we got home. And so I get home very late on what was a Sunday night. And that was a strange feeling. I woke up Monday morning and I'm home. I don't. I've been gone less than a week. Had planned to be gone a month, and uh, never even unpacked my sleep gear. Right. How How are you feeling at that point? And how are, How are your kids? How is your wife? What is is everyone wanting to talk about it? Is everyone walking on eggshells around you? What 
I mean, the kids knew I was coming home. Of course. There's five kids from mm-hmm. 16 to nine. They they were curious, but we kind of, I just told them, I said, it wasn't, it wasn't the right place to be. I said, I wasn't in the right mindset. And they kind of shrugged it off and said, cool, you're home. Let's, uh, yeah. let's go do something, which was awesome because yeah. you don't want your kids to judge you. I'm guessing your wife also probably not judging, but also probably having a better sense of the, I don't know. I mean, how were things? They were good. I mean, yeah. she, she was disappointed because she, she had been witness to those two years of preparation and, right. and they weren't always easy for her mm-hmm. because I was gone on training rides or spending money on bikes or. So she had an investment in this too. Right. And she was excited too. It wasn't like she was just okay, fine, this is this weird thing he does. No, she was excited, and I think she wanted to see me do well. And she knew that I would be disappointed. But in the end, she was just excited that I was home. And we talked about it a little bit, but she's got stuff going on too. Right. Like that's <laughs> Life that, continues on. Something I kind of it kind of dawned on me, it's an obvious thing, but it dawned on me the previous year when I called her from Steamboat on our training ride and said, can you come and get me? And she's like, no, I have work to do. I got to get the kids. The kids are doing this and that and this, this. And sorry, no. And I kind of, kind of, I kind of realized nobody really cares like what you're doing out here. Nobody really cares that you're questioning why you're out here because everybody's got their own stuff to deal with. But that does lead me to the question: Are you done with the tour divide? That's a, that's a good question that I've asked myself a hundred times every day. I was going to say, I bet you've asked more than a hundred times. But yeah, a hundred times a day. Sure, I get that. Um, the funny thing is, so I get home and I have some free time. I didn't want to go back to work. Because you're back at work. But yeah, go ahead. I didn't want to go to back to work immediately. So I found myself dis- drawing up a bunch of bikepacking routes on my maps. <laughs> And I'm thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> and for a, for a minute, I even said to my wife, hey, what do you think about the Colorado Trail Race this year? And she goes, she just shook her head and said, we have family in town that week. You're not going anywhere. And then she kind of looked at me and goes, plus, are you kidding? Like, really? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. It starts tomorrow, incidentally, which will mean nothing to All right. you. But so, <laughs> so the, but it, obviously, you know when it starts, and that says something, right? I I got home, and and it was all. I think there was some momentum with that, and I felt like all this bike pack energy still, and it tapered off, and I and I and for a while, I didn't ride my bike much at all. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of a reason because I, I, I'm not training for anything. I'm right. so, I was registered for the Crusher, which I went and rode, mm-hmm. and uh, I finished, but I wasn't racing it. I feel this weird limbo with the Tour Divide that um, there's two. I see two solutions. The first one is to go back and try again, like ASAP, or just someday. <laughs> I called Ty uh-huh. maybe two weeks, three weeks after he was done and said, 
what's your August look like? And he, he's like, no. Shut and, up. And again, who's, the, who's calling? And Wrong number. To, so he had done, he did a thousand miles. Yeah. He was tired. He was physically shot. I didn't do a thousand miles. I did 200, half of which were downhill pavement. I had some, so, and I was grass trying to figure out like, you know, what, what just happened? You know, why did I, why did I quit the way I did when I did? Eventually all those fits kind of passed. And right now I see two ways forward. One is to go back and try it again. Uh, maybe next year, if the scheduling works out, maybe who knows when, but that's one option to go back and try it again. The other is to just forget about it and to let yeah. it go. And both, both of those options are equally unappealing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do either thing right now. So I'm just holding steady. Yeah. I'm fairly certain I'll be back only because I don't think I can let it go. Yeah. It's going to nag at me as, as a bike racer, you DNF an event you feel as uh, in most cases, I think we all feel an obligation to go try again, to take what we've learned and and try again, or to hope for better luck. If you know, depending on why you dropped out. And that actually leads me perfectly to the to the big question: is suppose you go back, what's different? What have you learned? I have to figure out a way to want to be there. Mm -hmm. The only way to do that ride is to want nothing else than to get to the border of Mexico. And so you have to be able to put every, everything else has to be secondary to that desire. When I mean everything else, I mean the weather, the course conditions, a crappy reroute, hike a bike. You think about, um, any any race we've ever done, finishing is always the only thing you think about. Yeah. When we let ourselves think about DNFing, <laughs> we're going to DNF eventually. If the race is short, then you can sort of you can keep the thing keep those thoughts at bay for a while. You know, you've done you've done Leadville like fifty seven times. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't, have you ever, you, you crashed one year and had to DNF. I did. I crashed out one year. Is that the only DNF? Yes. And so that's, that's not even a DNF. I mean, you crashed. Yeah. I crashed You didn't out. quit. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure you've thought about it. And then you put that away because that event means something to you and finishing it means something to you. I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. I keep going back every year. It right. It, there, it, it's a, it's a tradition that I, I care deeply about. So yeah, I've, yeah, definitely the finish means something to me. I, I, the fin, the, the thought of finishing the tour divide was so foreign. It was so far away that even starting it, hmm. <laughs> the finish felt like uh, an alien planet, New Mexico, where in the world is New Mexico? I'm in British Columbia. I'm in Alberta. I'm in a different country. So I have to find a way to want nothing more than to finish that race. But I also, and I think more importantly, I have to find a way to stay in the moment. 
yeah. and not let myself get caught up in whatever's next. Do what is now. I can tell you're going to go back. It seems, it seems like that's something that you have, uh, that you have another try in you. <laughs> well, I have all the gear and I have, I have well written <laughs> notes. The, you won't have to start <laughs> over from scratch on the research. No question. Adam, it has been a pleasure talking with you. This wasn't the conversation conversation we expected to have, but you know, everyone has something like this. And this was a good conversation to have. I will be, as I said, interested to hear about any, any big adventures that you have to do. I know uh, I enjoyed your CTR book. Uh, and of course I would recommend to anyone, you know, check out grizzlyadam.net from time to time. You don't blog a ton, but uh, your posts and certainly your photographs are always worth enjoying. So thanks so much for being on the Paceline Tandem. Mm-hmm.